to the Lancet Psychiatry Podcast. Today we're talking about the situation in Northern Ireland, specifically the situation around suicide and suicide prevention. And I'm very pleased to be joined over the phone line by Professor Siobhan O'Neill of Ulster University, who has just published a review paper in the Lancet Psychiatry on this topic. Hello, Siobhan. Hello, Niall. Hi. I don't think that we have enough time to go into the intricacies of the uh, historical and political situation in Northern Ireland on this podcast, but clearly that does form the backdrop to the situation uh, and to this paper. And I think specifically what I'd like to focus on is the last 20 years. Now, as, as listeners probably know, the Good Friday Agreement was signed in 1998, implemented in 1999, and that's, I think, broadly considered the end point of this process we call the Troubles, which was the outbreak of, of political violence which lasted several decades and, and resulted in over three and a half thousand deaths. And I think there's a tendency maybe to see that as being an end point, and, and to a great extent it was. But I wonder if the situation which you describe in Northern Ireland, where um, suicide and self-harm are, are high, that they've increased from 143 suicides in 1996 to uh, 318 in 2015. I wonder if in, in some ways that's a continuation uh, of, of the process of the Troubles. Yes, well, the the Troubles had its impact on, on the population, obviously. Um, and there's growing evidence now about the mental health impact of the Troubles and the trauma people endured as part of that period of conflict. Um, and we're now also seeing the implications of the Troubles, the legacy of the Troubles, and an unstable peace, if you like. Um, so Northern Ireland's still, I think, in a period of flux. We're still working out um, how we're, we're going to be and, and where we sit. Um, and that instability, I think, is reflected, along with the mental health problems, um, leads to higher rates of suicide as a result. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to unpick here. I mean, the first thing is that, um, as you mentioned, that there is the effect of trauma. Now, one of the things which uh, readers might be surprised by is the, uh, the the sheer extent of the trauma, the number of people, the proportion of the population who would have experienced or witnessed uh, trauma during the Troubles. And this, this is something I'd like to talk about a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this is significant. The World Mental Health Surveys and the study in Northern Ireland showed that 39% of the population here had endured a conflict-related traumatic event. Now, that was way back in 2005, but um, we know that those events, bombings, shootings, are significant traumas. They have a serious psychological impact. And those individuals are parents, they're grandparents, and they're living in communities where lots of people have been affected by violence. So we're now understanding this to be the transgenerational legacy of the conflict. And we're really, for the first time, acknowledging the extent of the damage that was done to our population in that time and starting to recognise um, the impact of that and making plans now for how we might address that. And it's not just the effect of trauma, of course. I, the, the other point about... Um, the situation in Northern Ireland is the economic impact. And we know that uh, economic factors are associated with self-harm and suicide as well. Okay, so the biggest predictor of the area-level variation in suicide rates in Northern Ireland is in fact deprivation. The rates of suicide are three times higher in the most deprived areas of Northern Ireland in comparison with the least deprived areas of Northern Ireland. Um, and there are parts of Northern Ireland, there's pockets, um, particularly in the urban areas where the rates of suicide are very, very high. And those are the same areas that have been most affected 
by the troubles, by the violence, and are also um, subject to ongoing paramilitarism with high rates of drugs and alcohol problems and low levels of educational attainment. Let's talk about vulnerable populations. So, for instance, um, LGBT minorities. What's the sort of situation for them in Northern Ireland, and might they be at particular risk of suicide and self-harm? Yes, well, a survey a number of years ago showed that one in four people who were LGBT had attempted suicide. And, of course, that's a really, really shocking statistic. Things that's related to suicidal behaviour in minority groups is minority stress. And we know that Northern Ireland's a place where there there hasn't been the kind of the progressive thinking in relation to gay rights. And we haven't had same-sex marriage until this year. Um, and our first same-sex marriages will be in Valentine's Day this, this year. But that hasn't happened. So we haven't had that sort of acceptance of um, people who have who are gay or who are not heterosexual. And of course, that's related to suicidal behaviour too. I think one thing I'm, I'm keen on is not to to paint a, a completely gloomy picture here. Um, we met, of course, um, last year at the um, at the YASP conference, the Suicide Prevention uh, Conference, which was held in, in, in Derry, Londonderry. And what I was interested in was the reaction of a lot of the delegates who'd heard all kinds of terrible things about Northern Ireland and had an, a certain image in their heads, and then actually came to the city and maybe found something different to what they expected. Yes, I mean, Northern Ireland is actually a really friendly place. People are very, very welcoming. Um, uh, the IAP conference was held in, in Derry, Londonderry, and it was the biggest conference ever held in that city. And the the community, we had we got the word out there that the conference was coming to the city. So lots of people knew about the delegates and wanted to give them a really good experience and, and to try and improve the, the way that the area appears because we know that um, tourists might be discouraged from coming to Northern Ireland because of the stigma around violence of the troubles. Um, one of the really interesting things about here is that we, we constantly score really high in happiness surveys um, and we're one of the happiest regions of, of Europe and the UK um, and one of the reasons for that is the strong sense of community here in Northern Ireland and arguably the troubles have been part of that. There has been a sense of connectedness um, in, in the family communities as a result of that struggle as a result of the things that we've gone through. It's a cliche for uh, people to say in interviews like this, I talked to the taxi driver about this, this issue, but I genuinely did talk to the taxi driver <laughs> from the airport about this issue of suicide in Northern Ireland. And my experience was that I felt your work on this issue has got out there, that there is community concern around this issue. There is, I detected, maybe a bit more understanding and a bit less judgmentalism over the issue of suicide than I might find in other parts of the world. Yes, um, and that's a really interesting observation. Lots of people have said that, that people were openly talking about suicide and, more importantly, talking about how we can prevent suicide. So not only talking about the fact that Northern Ireland is the highest rates in the UK, but also that there are so many initiatives happening across Northern Ireland, particularly in Derry too, um, where we're training people, where we're increasing awareness and we're helping people understand what the risk factors are, who might be at risk, how to ask those questions, and even more importantly, how to connect people to sources of help. So in Northern Ireland, we have a 24-hour help lifeline for people who are suicidal. And of course, the Samaritans are there as well. Um, and that's one of the messages that I've really tried 
to to get out in the media work that I'm doing is that yes, there's an issue here, but um, most of the people who died by suicide haven't asked for help, they haven't been in contact with mental health services, and they didn't use the services that were out there. So it's really important that we change the conversation away from this idea that there's nothing out there for people, um, and towards help-seeking behaviour and help helping people find the help that would, would get them through. At the time that we're recording this, Stormont, which is the sort of colloquial term for the, the Northern Irish Assembly and Executive, has literally just returned. And this is after a, an absence of some years. So I think um, that this is really an opportunity to, to get things moving uh, at a policy level in terms of suicide prevention. So if we were at Stormont, what would you say are the priorities uh, to reduce this uh, high rate of suicide in Northern Ireland? So this is a really important point. Um, we've been without an executive for three years and we um, we have a, this new deal, a new decade, new approach deal, which includes prioritisation of mental mental health, mental illness and also um, suicide prevention. So th- that's absolutely crucial. And just yesterday, the ministers announced after their away day that they were setting up a working group to target mental, mental health and resilience in the population. So we're very much calling for the ministers to adopt an evidence-informed approach. So rather than simply throw money at this problem, we're asking them to carefully consider the the evidence about wh- where where the problems are in Northern Ireland, who are the population groups that are most at risk, and wh- where is the evidence for the interventions that will actually create the change. Uh, and, and for suicide prevention, that's about suicide-specific interventions and psychological therapies. Um, uh, and for workforce planning as well, so that we can create a workforce who are trained and skilled in providing uh, the, the, the treatments that actually work to address them. So, so that's one thing. The use of the evidence is absolutely crucial. Um, suicide prevention is not intuitive. Things that we imagine might work often um, either don't work or make, can make the problem worse. So that's really important. And the other thing that needs to happen in Northern Ireland is that we need to listen to the voice of those people who've had lived experience of this issue. So people who've um, had difficulties accessing mental health services, people who've themselves been suicidal and find out what it was that got them through because most people don't act on those suicidal thoughts. So we need to have the lived experience at the heart of the conversation about suicide prevention in Northern Ireland. So to return to to the first thing that we talked about. I think that we receive a lot of material at the Lancet Psychiatry and the Lancet Journals in general about conflict and mental health. But I see comparatively little about mental health in the aftermath of conflict. I think there's the assumption that the conflict ends and then everything sort of settles down and resolves. But I see the situation in Northern Ireland uh, is, of course, very specific to to, to the, the area and to the people. But there may be also lessons which can be learned internationally about the aftermath of conflict, uh, for instance, say, in, in the Balkans or in Colombia. So what do you think are the, the transportable lessons from the Northern Irish experience to these other international settings? I think it's important that the legacy of the conflict is managed in a way that reduces re-traumatisation and that, that a trauma-informed approach is adopted. And what we mean when we say that is that um, people will have been affected by incidents that happened as a result of other troubles or other conflicts. And they will have made meaning from those incidents and, in a way, have maybe tried to move on. But, of course, in any peace process, there's issues around justice, around truth. Um, and a lot of these are still being worked out in Northern Ireland, which means that information comes out 
people are released from prison, there's investigations, there's new information. And all of this can be very destabilizing for individuals who suffer from trauma-related mental health issues. And it can almost lead to, to new traumas, lead to those old traumas um, developing into mental illnesses again. So these are the kind of problems that we're seeing in Northern Ireland as we work through this peace process. Um, and those people who were involved, who were participants in the conflict from all sides, will have had a role that, that relates to their participation in the conflict. And that often changes whenever you have peace agreements. So they're trying to understand where they fit in this new society. And that can lead to a sense of hopelessness um, and this concern about who has won, who has lost, what has all this fighting been about, what has it led to. So those are the conversations that are happening right now, and we need to work through that process very carefully because it can be very harmful and hurtful to simply say that we're all just going to move on now and forget about what happened because people have been profoundly, families, communities, profoundly affected by what they've gone through. Um, and that just can't be forgotten. That needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be worked through. So it sounds as if not only is suicide prevention part of a peace process, but also uh, the peace process is part of suicide prevention, as if, if the two are really interrelated, that you can't separate these, these two projects. No, because we're talking about life events. We're talking about people who've seen terrible things and people who've done terrible things um, and their, their sense of purpose, the meaning that they make around that. Um, and this can change, and it's changing rapidly right now. And there's lots of disagreements about this peace process in Northern Ireland, particularly in those areas where suicide rates are higher. Um, and we know then that communities interpret things in different ways, and that leads young people to, to feel differently about themselves, about where they've come from, and it, it affects their, self, their sense of identity and their sense of purpose. And all of these things feed into suicidal behaviour too. And of course, we have a tense piece at the minute, there's paramilitary groups who are still active. Um, we have advertisements on our TV uh, around those paramilitary groups right now to discourage young people from joining. So this is still very much a live issue um, and drugs are still a huge problem in Northern Ireland, arguably a bigger problem now than they were during the time of the conflict um, and we're seeing a lot of drug related deaths here and a lot of suicides involving drugs um, either as part of the, the predisposing factors or as part of the method and that's a major concern there that we need to address too and paramilitarism is linked to that. Thank you very much Yvonne. Thank you, Niall. And thanks to you, the listener, for downloading this podcast. Now, you can get the uh, paper by Siobhan O'Neill and Rory O'Connor on suicide in Northern Ireland, epidemiology, risk factors and prevention on our website. It is well worth a read, so please do. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time. But for now...